By the very nature of the fact that you are listening to this podcast, it means you are likely very much like me and are determined to get better at songwriting. Otherwise, why would you even be here? So in this episode, we are going to talk about the fundamentals of getting better as songwriting because fundamentals are important because these are the things that are core. These are the things we should understand the best and revisit over and over and over again. Ultimately, I think if you really understand the fundamentals of anything, that's 90% of the battle. Everything else is just sort of gravy. So we're going to learn these very core fundamentals of getting better at songwriting so that you and I can get much better at songwriting in this next year, in this next month, and hopefully just continue to get better and better at songwriting at a more and more rapid rate. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Honored that you are willing to take some time to talk songwriting with me whenever you are listening to this, whether it be late at night, early in the morning, on that journey to work, or uh, perhaps the last thing you listen to before you go to bed at night. Whenever you're listening to this, I appreciate you for that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, be sure to leave a kind review on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. I messed it up again. See, I went too long without asking people to review. So now I'm back to saying iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. That would be greatly appreciated by me. But today in this episode, we are talking about these fundamentals of getting better at songwriting. So this sort of comes from the fact that at least for me, I'm kind of obsessed with the foundational concepts of how to get better at things because there's lots of things I care about. And overall, I want to be able to maximize the time that I spend on things to get as much better as possible, which is terrible English. But the idea is not all time is spent equally well, right? That, that, that should be intuitive. And I think sometimes people think like, oh, it just if we're doing something in the vicinity of songwriting, every hour we either listen to a podcast or watch videos or do songwriting with the piano or do songwriting with the guitar or practice the piano or practice the, like all of that is equal, but it's not. And ultimately, we only have so much time in the day. Right? And we only have so, so much time in our lives, not to get a little dark. but um, so, so ultimately, to figure out some of the core things that we need to make sure we are doing and adhering to and thinking through in order to make the most of our time and really get better at songwriting is something that's important to me. And that's where this comes from. So let's start with the most obvious fundamental of getting better at songwriting. Because why not start with the obvious one? And that's just to get those reps. Literally just spend time songwriting, right? We don't have direct control over our improvement at anything, really, right? Like you and I cannot directly control how much better at songwriting we get, right? You, you can't force yourself in the next year to get 
two times better at songwriting or ten times better at songwriting. We can't control that. But we do have direct control over things that inevitably will lead to improvement. And ultimately, what better thing can we both control and can we rely on inevitably leading to improvement than actually just doing it, just getting some reps in? So you you may have heard the 10,000 hour rule, right? It's I'm sure you have, right? Everybody's heard of it before. It's almost an eye roll thing at this point. But it is it does have some practical element to it, right? <laughs> like literally 10,000 hours. That's your threshold. Work towards it. And this should be obvious, but some of you are probably going to need to hear this. You won't get better at songwriting. Again, you will not get better at songwriting if you do not write songs. Oh, so glad you tuned into this episode, right? Goodness, just dropping this incredible knowledge on you. Yes, that's sarcasm towards myself. But seriously, some of you, uh, all jokes aside, some, some of you probably have listened to several episodes straight. You know, it's been weeks and you haven't actually done songwriting. Or maybe this is the first episode of this podcast you've ever listened to, in which case, welcome. And, you know, this is one of the three or five or ten different songwriting podcasts you tried. You were on YouTube looking up a bunch of people. Uh, maybe you found my YouTube channel, found out I had a podcast. You're like, all right, I'll give that a shot. That guy wasn't that bad in YouTube, so I guess we'll listen to his podcast. And, you know, so you've been searching, you've been listening to all different people, and yet you haven't actually put pen to paper, metaphorically, because... Who uses pen and paper for songs these days? Maybe you do. I don't. But ultimately, the most important thing is that you get your reps in, right? There's a reason that even, you know, NFL quarterbacks need to get their reps in with their wide receivers, right? They can't, they can't just like be like, oh, I've made that throw a million times, so I'm good. Like, no, no, no. They still need to practice over and over and over again to get it right with their wide receivers, or they're running backs these days since there are a lot of passes to running backs. But ultimately, listening to this podcast and my videos and other content creator stuff is good. Certainly, I would hope so. But ultimately, you need to actually write to move the needle. Uh, to go back to the quarterback analogy for a second, I can know where a quarterback should throw the football. Right? I'm watching football. I'm yelling at the TV because I'm a Denver Broncos fan and I had to deal with terrible quarterback play for the last, since Peyton Manning retired, so literally seven years. Um, and, you know, so I'm, so I'm yelling at the TV, saying some things I shouldn't say, and I'm like, oh, obviously it should go there. Now, first of all, I have a different point of view than the quarterback, obviously, because I have the TV cameras. But besides that, right, I'll make fun of a quarterback for their weak arm. But just because... I know where the football should go and where they should have placed it. Doesn't mean that I can just step in and throw that, right? Like my arm strength is nothing compared to even the so-called weak NFL quarterbacks. Which I say that to, to illuminate that theory is great. Not music theory, but just theory in general. This would apply to music theory too, but 
Therian is great, right? You can listen to this podcast. You can get some nice insight. You can learn, you know, how to write songs in C major and G major. Last week we talked about that. But ultimately, theory is just theory, right? I can know where the football should go. I can understand how NFL plays work. If I can't execute it, it doesn't mean I can be an NFL quarterback, right? Ultimately, it's about being able to execute on the thing, taking the theory and making it into reality, right? That's why some people can be critics of movies, but they can't actually write movies themselves, which how useful is that? Not very, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but what a nice job though, right? You get to just like criticize other people's stuff, but not prove that you can actually do it yourself. Um, but anyway, here's a practical thing to do that I, I have been doing recently that I, I at least have found success with. Hopefully it will be helpful to you as well. And that is literally set a 15 minute timer every day or every other day and go. And uh, I assume this is on a Mac computer as well, but I know on a PC, you can just hit like the Windows key and type in timer. There are timers. You can make a timer. That's So I have a, what I call a 15-minute writing timer. So just open that up, hit play, boom. Heads down. I'm not allowed distractions, nothing. Only 15 minutes. And I force myself, I am going to write for 15 minutes. Now, a lot of times I end up getting into it, and then I go over the 15 minutes, and that's fine. But even on days where I have a lot of other stuff to get to and I don't have much time and, and you know, or maybe I'm just not feeling it, even on those days, I got some reps in, right? I forced myself to get into that creator mindset and work for 15 minutes, which is nothing. But 15 minutes adds up, right? You haven't done any songwriting for three weeks, let's just say. If you had done 15 minutes a day over three weeks, that adds up to hours. I'm not going to do the math right now, but, well, actually, yes, I will. All right, so 15 minutes times, what did I say, three weeks, so 21 days. So 21 days times 15 minutes, which basically means that that would be about five hours, a little north of five hours, right? Because four 15-minute segments, um, four 15-minute segments makes an hour, 21 divided by 5, if you just drop the 1. So 20 divided by 5 is 4. Um, anyway, moral of the story, around 5 hours. You would have, if you had just done 15 minutes every day. 5 hours kind of seems like a lot compared to 0 hours in the 3 weeks. And that's just from 15 minutes. Right? So... Second thing, learn high leverage concepts really well. What does high leverage mean? Well, leverage is basically just what allows you to utilize, say, a lever, right? To be able to take your relatively small amount of force and turn it into enough to, say, lift a car, right? So if, if you think practically about, like, well, what is a lever, Right, a lever is when you were in science class or whatever, or or if you just think of, you know, things in life where you take a relatively small amount of force and you use something like a lever in order to make it so that your small amount of force is able to do much more work than it would be able to do directly. Right. So if you if you have a, a lever and you set it up in a certain way, even though you yourself couldn't pick up a car. 
you can make it so that the force that you put on this lever is enough to lift a car. Even if you applied it directly, it wouldn't. So we could dive deeper into that, but that's basically leverage, right? Leverage or high leverage means that basically your small effort results in big results. That's what we want, right? If I could tell you, hey, you could get five times better at songwriting spending 100 hours on X versus spending 100 hours on Y and getting only twice as good as songwriting, which one's higher leverage? Well, the 100 hours to get five times better, right? So what are some high leverage concepts? I'm not even going to say music theory. I'm kind of going to say music theory because it's me. But specifically, the most high leverage elements of music theory that you just you just have to learn. You just, you're so missing out if you haven't. Are literally major and minor keys. Learn your major and minor keys. And even that, you can just get really, really specifically good at like the four major or minor keys that you're most going to use. So for example, if you're a guitarist, you are probably never going to write a song in B flat major. So if you don't, if you only know B flat major, like in theory, that's fine, right? You don't really need to know how to play well in B flat major because you're never going to write a song in B flat major, probably on guitar anyway. You are going to use G major and D major and C major and A minor and A major I don't remember if I said E major yet, but that would be another one, right? So that would be high leverage if you're a guitarist because you're going to use those keys a lot. But also, this is high leverage because just understanding major and minor keys and specifically the specific things that you need to understand about them is what notes they contain and then the chords in context. So what I mean by chords in context is Roman numeral chord notation, right? So it's understanding, for example, that in the context of G major, a G major chord is completely different than a G major chord in the context of C major. In the context of G major, a G major chord is the one chord, the tonic, which is a completely different role than the G major chord in, a C, in C major, which is the five chord which is, again, used completely differently. A G major chord in a C major song sounds completely different and has a completely different job than a G major chord, the same exact chord in, a G, in G major. And that knowledge comes from understanding keys and specifically chords in context. So you need to move away from being the person who says, oh, D major chord sounds like this. Like, well, I mean, it depends, right? Like D major chord, for example, some people might say, oh, D major chord sounds happy. Like on its own, sure, yeah. Uh, but in the context of, say, C sharp major, it might sound kind of weird because it doesn't belong in C sharp major, nat or at least it's not naturally occurring. Now, I'm sure that with the right voice leading and stuff, you can pull it off and make it sound right. But chords, sounds on their own is largely irrelevant. What matters is their context in the key. So high leverage concept number one. I would say music theory in, generally, in general, honestly, 
let me take that back. Specifically, major and minor keys are absolutely number one. And specifically what I mean by that is the notes in these keys and then the chords in context. So literally sort of what we talked about last week with G major and C major, right? So it's understanding that say in D major, your notes are D, E, F sharp, G, A, B, C sharp. Those are your notes. So now when you go to write the melody in a song in D major, you know all the, the entire subset of the notes that you have to write that melody. Or if you're at the keyboard or the guitar and you want to spice up your chord progression a little bit, you want to add an extra note, right? Have an added note chord or a sus chord, you know what notes you can utilize that are outside the normal chord because you just pick another note that is still in that key most of the time. And then the other thing is the chords into context, right? So it's understanding that in the context of D major, your D major chord is your one chord, which has a different role than your G major chord, which is your four chord in the context of uh, D major. And then your A major chord has is your five chord, which has a different role. The five chord, for example, is the one that has the biggest pull to the one chord. So if you play an A major chord in the context of D major, it will really strongly want to go to a D major chord. And then we won't get much deeper into this because this is not meant to be a music theory episode. But those are the high leverage things, major and minor keys. I would also throw in there, you know, other things like maybe sus chords, add chords, and seventh chords. I'd maybe throw those in too. But ultimately, major, minor keys, notes, and the chords in context. Depending on your genre, maybe a mode or two as well. I would encourage you to learn all modes. But again, if we're talking just high leverage, if say you write dark rock music, right, it's going to be more high leverage to learn minor keys well than major keys because you're not going to do much in major keys. So learn the minor keys really well. And then maybe learn the Phrygian mode because the Phrygian mode would be pretty commonly used in some hard rock music. has a really dark sound. It's darker sounding than, than minor, um, which is otherwise known as the Aeolian mode. In case that didn't connect well, the mi minor key in Aeolian mode is the same. That's what I was saying. All right. Another high leverage concept, your instrument skill. And specifically knowing how to leverage we're using that word again, how to leverage your music theory knowledge practically in the context of improvisation of your instrument, right? So knowing in your head what notes and what chords are in B flat major is great. But really, it's only really practical to songwriting if you can actually take it and then play it on the guitar or piano. So an example of this, I'll just use myself as an example because this is something I've worked on. Some of the main piano practice I've done over the last year is really just focusing on a specific key and improvising within it and forcing myself to do all the different chord transitions and, 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 and different melodic things in a key, right? So I already was really good at most of the sharp keys I've always, like, I had a little bit to work on, but very little. So, like, C major, D major, G major, E major, uh, B major even. Uh, once we get to, like, C sharp major, and <laughs> it gets a little worse. But, um, but, but then I worked on things like F major, which is a flat key. 
and and B flat major and E flat major and A flat major with really the goal being that I wanted to, no matter what the key was, be able to, you know, do a chord progression real fast that that it, I'm not having to think about the fact that like, oh, I'm in F major, therefore, uh, what's my four chord? I want to go to the four chord. Oh, it's uh, okay. It's B flat major. So, so let me try to figure out. Okay, then I know the notes are a B flat major, or a B flat, D, and F. Right? If you're thinking that, you don't have time to just improvise it. Right. So when I'm improvising in the key of D major, I'm not really thinking about the fact that, you know, D major is my one and A major is my five and where I put my fingers to play those notes. I don't think about that because I don't have time to think about that. Right. My music theory knowledge has become practical by being so ingrained from me playing with the knowledge because you don't have time to think actively about, oh, what notes do I have and what chords? If you're going to be improvising well and improvising tends to be the heart of songwriting, right? So while, while I'm touching on this, this is sort of another thing, not just your instrument skill in general, which we're going to come back to in a second, which of course is high leverage, right? Because if, if you're going to write songs on the guitar and let's say you only are a good enough guitarist to play basic open chords and you're basically restricted to C major, D major, and G major chords, which means you're going to write every single song in G major, that's very restricting, right? So learning to maybe solo a little bit or learning some chords to, to be able to, for example, play in E major as well and to write songs in E major rather than just those three chords that basically restrict you to uh, writing in G major or in C major with just two chords or in C major with two chords and then using the major two chord instead of D minor, which is would be naturally occurring in C major. But anyway, so... Overall, increasing your instrument skill is going to be high leverage, to a certain degree anyway. If you're already a classically trained pianist, you probably don't have to worry about this, right? You've already leveraged the crap out of that. You'd be, it would be higher leverage for you to work on one of these other things we're talking about. But if you're somebody who, you know, is, is a pretty low-level guitarist or pianist, you're not that greatest at the instrument per se, this is probably going to be a high leverage thing to work on. If you're restricted to just playing block chords on the piano and you don't really have interesting piano riffs because you're not that good at the piano, learning to become better at that is going to help you expand in your songwriting. And then back to improvisation for a second. Improvisation tends to be the hardest songwriting, right? It's the quickest way to sit down and start writing a song. The fact that I can sit at a keyboard or a piano and I can be like, yeah, E major. And then just kind of start playing stuff. And it all just sounds differing degrees of pretty good, right? It's, I'm not saying all of it is like, oh, record that, right? Of course not. Um, but, you know, it, it all sounds good enough that my grandmother or my mother can walk by and be like, oh, what's that? That's so pretty, right? And I'm like, it's, I, I don't know what it is. It's just improv improvising, right? Which at least means I'm closer to finding something that is worth developing into a song. Um, and that's not because I'm amazing, because I'm not. It, it literally is just, you know, practicing improvisation. It's working on it. And if, if you know your major and minor keys, it's a lot easier to improvise. And then uh, just back to the instrument skill for a second. Getting better at common instrument skills that will help you increase your songwriting range. 
right? So for example, I just bought a book that's called like 100 different left-hand piano patterns. Why? Because I realized, hmm, I default to the same like four left-handed piano patterns over and over and over again. Um, it's usually there's some form of bass line, which I do like doing a bass line effectively in my left hand. It's something that I just, it, I like it a lot. So, you know, it's, it's not just a limitation of sk skill per se so much as like a, it is something I like. Um, and then just, you know, there, there are just like four or five patterns I just go to over and over again. Uh, and, and there's a lot of variation within those patterns, right? But, but largely what I do with the left hand is something that I've realized is the bigger limiting factor than my right hand. My right hand is much less limited than my left hand. So I'm like, I'm going to address that specifically, right? This is going to be high leverage because let's say I have four or five left hand patterns and they have variations within them. But if I just had a sixth one, I've added 20% to my left hand ability to write stuff, right? <laughs> like that's high leverage. Whereas if I add one more tool to my right hand, it's like I, my right hand can already do tons of stuff. So it's not that big of a deal. All right. Last high leverage thing, lyric writing. Just in general, <laughs> lyric writing. Most songwriters, the biggest weakness is going to be lyric writing. Uh, this is especially true if looking at average songwriters, just, you know, that we actually listen to, artists we listen to is any indication because the vast majority of songs I listen to, uh, usually the melodies are pretty decent, although sometimes it's shocking to me how many songs on pop radio now is like, that is the most boring melody ever. I don't, like, what is happening? But uh, generally speaking, you know, there's a lot of strong melodies out there. The production is usually really good. Uh, you know, even, even some crappy sounding songs sometimes have actually kind of interesting harmony, or at least the music is effective generally. But man, there's a lot of crappy lyrics out there. Uh, so it's also high leverage because if you are even a decent lyricist, um, you know, if, if you're decent at writing melodies, you're not going to stand out. If you're decent at writing lyrics, you'll actually stand out because just being decent at writing lyrics is like 10 times better than the average lyricist, it seems. Um, I'm slightly overstating that. but And specifically within lyric writing, poetic meter because to me, that's the heart of poetry. Some people think it's rhyming. I really don't think it is. Um, I have whole episodes talking about this. You can go check those out if you want more on this because I, I probably shouldn't spend much time on this. But uh, ultimately, your lyric is going to sound way more natural and flow and feel right if you have great poetic meter, much more so than rhyming matters. You can have songs with no rhyming at all. People won't even notice. It doesn't matter. But if your meter is even a little bit off, it is immediately noticeable. Um, and it will sound awkward and out of place. Meter is super important. Um, probably the most fundamentally important thing to lyric writing. Uh, and then just vocabulary, right? Being able to use words outside of the most boring, overused words and, you know, adding to your imagery toolbox and all that kind of stuff. Or... If you don't want to, you know, a great way while you have a limited vocabulary to sort of circumvent that, which we've talked about recently, but I'll touch on again, leverage thesaurus.com, right? If you have, you know, I just love you and you feel like uh, love is a boring word. I've used that a million times. It's not really what I'm trying to say. Look up love on thesaurus.com and all of a sudden you'll come up with things like lust, adore, uh, and you know, a bunch of other words. And one of those might be better, right? You might be going, you might be like, Oh, adore. That's actually the word that I want. 
Um, so anyway, in summary of this of the second point, it's better to know major and minor keys crazy well than it is to know what a French chord is because you're probably never going to use a French chord. It's better to understand poetic meter or increase your vocabulary than it is to know music history. Right? Music history has very little value, really, to songwriting, and yet lots of people spend a lot of time on it. And it's better to know sus chords, suspended chords, and seventh chords than it is to know what's the latest and greatest gear that your favorite artists are using, right? Like, oh, well, this is the new pedal that came out from Bo, from, I don't know, some company, Boss. That's, I think that's the name I'm looking for. Or, you know, uh, you know, looking up what, what amps exactly and what pedals does my favorite artist use. And it's better to have a firm understanding of how to solo and improvise an A major on your guitar or piano than it is, or whatever other instrument, than it is to learn a specific difficult riff you always wanted to learn from your favorite artist. Even though that last one is going to be good for your instrument skill. But first, for songwriting ability, it's going to be much more important to have a really firm understanding of that, you know, how to, how to play an A major, how to improvise an A major. All right. Third one, intentionally address weaknesses. So playing to your strengths as an artist is super important. We've talked about this a lot. This is as true in an author's office or desk or wherever they work, <laughs> uh, coffee shop, whatever, as it is in the director's chair or a quarterback room or in a songwriter's basement or wherever you write songs, although the correct answer is in your basement. Mostly joking. But it is important to intentionally identify and address your weaknesses because you can't bury your weaknesses for long, right? Especially, let's go to a quarterback for a second, right? It's great if you have a, a good deep ball or if you have a good outside ball, but if you can't throw it in the middle of the field, the defenses are then going to force you to do that. Now, I understand in songwriting, it's a little different because nobody's going to force you into anything, but... Most things with songwriting, the weaknesses are going to catch up with you, right? You say, oh, it doesn't really matter that, uh, you know, a weakness for me is, is writing, you know, a good bridge. I just won't write bridges. Like, well, at some point you're going to write a song that really needs to have a bridge. Or, you know, may maybe your weakness is something like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really write great bass lines, but who cares? I don't value the bass super highly. Like, well, okay, until you have that song where it's like, man, this is missing something, and he's a really good bass line. Or, or <laughs> I'll use myself for a second. For a second, uh, catchy songs. <laughs> for the longest time, I was like, ah, it doesn't really matter that I'm not that great at writing catchy songs because my thing is more like sad, emotional, big ballad type stuff. It's easy to do that, but we shouldn't. So if your melodies aren't great, spend extra time working on that. Don't just keep writing songs hoping that your melodies get better. Now, you should keep writing songs, but you should take extra time to specifically address the fact that you recognize that, say, your melodies aren't great. So an example of what you would do if this is the case for you is maybe record a single chord progression. And this, again, I always preface this because almost every time I say record, I can just like hear half of you being like, but I don't have recording. Yes, that's fine. 
You don't need recording gear. Grab your phone, record. It doesn't need to be high quality. Like you can just record your chord progression, play it like two minutes over and over, and then stop it and hit play. <laughs> now, while it's playing back what you just recorded, improvise again, whether it be with your voice or whether it be with a piano or a guitar, however you want to write your melody. Write slash improvise five to ten melodies on that one chord progression, right? Just have a chord progression. It doesn't have to be a good one. It doesn't even have to be one that you intend to make into a song. Pick a really boring chord progression, right? Be like C major. I'm going to do a one, five, six, four. C major, G major, A minor, F major. Most boring chord progression in existence. It is still effective, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, it's been used a trillion times. Just use that and go, right? Just write melodies over and over and over and over again, at least five to 10 of them. And, you know, keep doing that until you get better and better and better at the concept and at the skill of writing slash improvising melodies. If your guitar hooks aren't memorable, force yourself to come up with 20 guitar hooks in five days, right? Something like that. Four, four guitar hooks a day. You're going to sit there for an hour and you're going to just improvise and try stuff until you come up with a guitar hook. They don't have to be good. The goal is, again, just to address that over and over and over again because you want to, you know, let, let's say you write one song in the next month. You don't want you to write one song in the next month. Your weakness is guitar hooks, and you wrote the one guitar hook for that song, right? Because at that rate, your guitar hooks are going to get better at, a, at the same rate that your songs get better, but your guitar hooks are your weakness. You need, it to, you need them to level up quickly. And that way, hopefully, you don't have like 10 years worth of songs with terrible guitar hooks, right? Maybe you only have one year of songs with terrible guitar hooks. So a great way to do that is just really practically speaking, you don't, you don't have just as many guitar hooks written as you do songs written. You really work specifically on writing guitar hooks over and over and over again to help address that weakness. Also, do some learning around your weakness, right? So if you're weak at lyric writing, watch videos, listen to podcast episodes specifically addressing lyric writing because that's your weakness, right? Or check out my six-step lyric writing checklist, link in the description. Um, you know, that breaks down the six steps that I go through with lyric writing, right? Maybe take a poetry class or... You know, as I mentioned before, just go out of your way to watch lyric writing videos, whatever it might be. So, so address your weaknesses by A, intentionally practicing writing the thing that's your weakness. So if you're weak at writing catchy songs, specifically force yourself, I'm going to write something catchy, I'm going to write something catchy, which by the way, great hack for that is just coming up with a like simple drum loop that is catchy. Because if you're listening to a drum loop that's catchy and improvising and writing while listening to that, your music will just come out catchy. It's a great, it's a great hack. <laughs> it like works great. Um, so if you're anything like me and that's kind of one of your bigger weaknesses, do that. Super effective. Um, but yeah, so ident identify a weakness and then work on it by practicing that thing but also by doing learning around that thing. And then finally, consider and try 
different ways of doing things, especially in areas of weakness. So this is just a human pet peeve for me. So forgive me for the mini soapbox. I might go on for a second here, but so many people will stubbornly adhere to ways that don't work well, right? How many of us at work or somewhere else have heard the phrase, it's how we've always done things, right? And I always want to shake the person and say, I don't care that that's how we've always done things, especially because it hasn't ever worked well. Who cares if we've always done it that way? It doesn't work. It still doesn't work. It, just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it's good. It also doesn't mean it's bad. But if it doesn't work, if it's not working well, then why would we keep doing it that way and not at least entertain the idea of doing it differently, right? Or another one, I'm comfortable doing it this way, right? Comfort is the enemy of improvement. So we should always be willing to adjust and change how we do things, right? So I, I'll take myself as an, as an example. Lyric writing has always been important to me. I've always put extra effort into, you know, trying to both make myself more efficient at lyric writing because that's the slowest part for me, um, but also just get get better and better at it because that that to me is like the the thing I, I just must sort of reach a certain. I, I just have a high standard for it, and I, I don't ever want to be below that standard. So. After all that, I think I have a pretty rock-solid lyric writing system down, right? I just pitched it, the six-step lyric writing checklist. I love it. It's worked great for me. It's a great mix of it breaks it down into baby steps that makes each step easier. Ultimately, it helps me write song lyrics faster. It also helps me write lyrics in a way that that they really are good by the time I'm done with those six steps. Um, it's great. But sometimes I'll wander out into the YouTubes and the, the podcasts and all that kind of stuff and check out what other ideas there are to see if there are better ways or more likely things to incorporate, right? Maybe there's a, a another step that I, I didn't quite think of that could be helpful. Maybe, like for example, uh, the specifically the part of sort of the brainstorm sheet or that I believe the second step where you're sort of just sort of doing background work really on your idea, developing the idea. It's really idea development stage. The idea specifically of, of a related word sheet was not something like that's something I, I found somewhere. And I'm like, oh, that's something that's missing. Just having this sheet where I sort of develop like, you know, I, I pick five, six core words and then I find a bunch of words related to those words. That way, if I have a song that I'm writing and I want to evoke the feeling of the ocean, I have all a library of words for me to use that all evoke oceany things, right? So I have like lighthouse and pier and boardwalk and waves and sand. And did I say pier already? I don't remember, right? So and all those words sort of just evoke ocean stuff. And a related word sheet gives you like a library of that stuff so that your imagery is, is really pervasive and something that uh, just sort of recurs throughout the song. You know, that's something that I found because I, I, didn't, I didn't say this is good enough, right? Someday the lyric writing checklist is going to be a bit different. In fact, even now, I think the current version has like a brainstorm sheet in there, but it doesn't necessarily mention that related word sheet. 
uh, which means I need to update it. But but like, it, and it probably will keep evolving, and it should, right? It should. We never should be say like, oh, this works, so I'm done, right? It's, oh, this works. Let's see how I can make it even better. And then more importantly is the weaknesses. If your lyrics are clearly a weak spot, then you should be extra willing to throw out your current way of doing things because you know it's not working, right? This should be true of all of us for anything that we know isn't really working, right? If, if, you, if, if, if we are like, no, I do lyrics first songwriting, but we don't write particularly great songs and we write them pretty slow, why would we not just entertain the idea and try, give a real try to doing music first, right? I stubbornly was like, no, I'm going to do lyrics first because lyrics are the most important for the longest time. And I still do believe more or less that lyrics are the most important. I think almost objectively, really, the melody is the most important. Um, but lyrics are close too for me. Lyrics are super important to me. If the lyrics aren't good, I throw the rest of the song out. I don't care how good the melody, I don't care about anything else. If the lyrics are garbage, who cares? It's, it's like it's like if the story of a movie is garbage. Like nothing else matters then. Like if the story and the characters are garbage, it doesn't matter how pretty it looks. Right Transformers or anything basically that Disney has made in the last so long. Um. Anyway. So, you know, if, if you have a hard time starting songs, consider, consider a different way of starting. Right? If you're not good at writing choruses, consider totally reworking your approach to writing choruses. If you write lyrics first and your results are that you write songs slowly and both the lyrics and music aren't that great, be willing to give that music first a real try. So this point could be watered down to don't be stubborn, right? And I think we all have a stubborn streak in us. No judgment. I, I certainly am stubborn. Um, so I feel that, right? But it's especially important to make sure that we get over that in the things that we are weak at. It makes no sense to be stubborn about how we do things if it doesn't work particularly well. So, quick review. What are the four fundamental things we talked about here about getting better at songwriting? One, just put the time in, right? Set that timer, 15 minutes a day or whatever you decide to do. Get those reps in. Work towards those 10,000 hours. Number two, learn the high leverage concepts really well. Again, it's better to know major and minor keys stupid well so that it is your, your fingers on the piano just do it without you ever thinking about it than it is to know what a French chord is because honestly that's borderline useless music theory. Or it's better to know sus chords and seventh chords really well than to know the latest and greatest gear that your art, favorite artist uses. High leverage concepts. Learn the things that will have a disproportionately large effect on your songwriting. And then intentionally address your weaknesses. And then sort of off of that, consider and try different ways of doing things, especially in areas of weakness, but also in areas of strength. Right, I'll always be looking for a new thing to try, a new thing to incorporate, whether it's something I'm recommending on a podcast that you haven't thought of, or some other creator that you might follow, you know, and they suggest something. Maybe even, right? You download this six-step lyric writing checklist again at songwritertheory.com/slash lyric checklist. 
link in the description. Maybe you get this, right? And for you, like one or two of the steps are like, oh, that really resonated with me. That worked great. And the other ones maybe don't, but you just kind of accept it at first. And you're like, well, it's better than what I was doing. If someday you find another guide from someone else or you watch a video where you're like, oh, you know, the first two steps that didn't really work well for me or the second two steps, well, you know, whatever they are. Uh, this other thing is interesting because it kind of replaces those steps. Let's let's see if this methodology works better, right? Be willing, be willing to adapt, find what works well for you. Never be satisfied with, oh, this works, I'm done. Contentment and comfort is the enemy of improvement. Um, so again, I fully intend on continuing to evolve how I do things. Just because I came up with the six-step lyric writing checklist doesn't mean those are going to be the same exact things I talk about 20 years from now. Maybe they will, right? For the most part, the main principles I don't really think will change. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the specifics of what it looks like probably will. And that should be a good thing, right? So you should do the same thing. Hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was, best thing you can do to help me out is to leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. I appreciate all of you who have done that. Um, I still have some catching up on emails to do. I just throw this out there because I, I don't want any of you to think that I ignored your email. Um, I did not. I do read every email, and I believe I still respond to every email. It's possible I miss one because I am, I am fallible, believe it or not. <laughs> You're all like, believe me, we know understandable. I'm not insulted by it. You're right. Um, so being a fallible human, uh, it's possible I miss some, uh, but there are a few longer emails that I saw that I started to respond to, uh, but at the time I didn't have enough time to respond to it. So I will get back to those. Um, ultimately I appreciate everybody who does take the time to reach out via email. I try to get to all the emails I have historically, and I, I will be catching up on those here shortly. I know this is not something I will always be able to do, uh, at some point, the emails will just <laughs> be too many. Uh, but while I still can do it, uh, I, I do enjoy doing it. I enjoy being able to talk directly with you. That way, I'm not just talking to myself, right? It's it's great to actually hear hear from you. So I appreciate all of you who take the time to do that, uh, whether it's those of you that have sent short emails that are really encouraging, like, hey, really love the show, thanks for doing it, or something short like that. That means a ton to me and also means a ton to me, those of you that uh, take the time to send me effectively a chapter of a book. <laughs> it's light hyperbole, but um, and 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 sometimes uh, you all bring up some some really, really interesting things and sometimes you give me ideas of stuff to talk about and it's just great. I really love hearing from you. Um, so thank you to all of you who do take the time to shoot me an email and know that you'll get a response here shortly if you are one of the people that I still need to catch up on emails with. Thank you for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. Don't forget to pick up my free guide, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist for my six-step lyric writing checklist. That should take you from gathering ideas all the way to a finished lyric that you can be proud of that passes the frame test. It's such good lyrics that if you just printed it out, put it in a frame and put it on the wall, it would pass as poetry. Unlike WAP, which would not pass as poetry and is absolute garbage in every possible sense. Um, it is 
frankly embarrassing if somebody ever put it on the wall. Unless you did it ironically. That could be actually kind of funny. Anyway, that's more than enough time to talk about WAP. Don't you agree? Good. Glad you agree. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Talk to you in the next one.